Last week, we saw that as Judas and the soldiers are coming to arrest Jesus, uh, that Jesus was the one who was really in control of the entire situation. And as we look at the verses this morning, we see the same thing. Jesus is in control. He's calm and composed. And yet the same thing cannot be said about the Jews or Pilate or even Peter. Look at verse 13. First, they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would have not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken, to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, 
Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, make us. For your son's sake, amen. Amen. Well, when I was growing up, um, my parents had a cabin in northern Wisconsin. And on top of our cabin was a weather vane. You know, those metal things on top of people's roofs that help you determine where the wind is coming from? And our weather vane had a rooster on it. Actually, a lot of weather vanes have roosters on them. And I've always thought that that was interesting. Did you know that roosters being on weather vanes began because of churches? Historically, many Protestant churches in Europe placed a rooster on top of their steeples to distinguish themselves from Roman Catholic churches. And then at some point, weather vanes were put on top of churches because churches were the highest points of the city and there was a lot of wind up there. Uh, and then they would be able to determine uh, what direction the wind was coming from. So roosters ended up being on weather vanes. But that all goes back to this account with Peter. The rooster has been a Christian symbol to remind us of the weakness of man. To remind us how at times in our lives we deny Christ. But why have a symbol of Peter's failure on your church building? Well, because it reminds us that we're not the heroes of our story. Our testimony isn't how wonderful we are, but how wonderful Christ is. The rooster is a picture of God's grace for sinners. And it's also a reminder for us to be faithful witnesses to Christ in the world to always confess Christ and to not fall into the sin of Peter and deny our Lord. Maybe 
we need to put a weather vane with a rooster on it on top of this building to remind us as well. Now, uh, in our passage this morning, Jesus is on trial. And John is going to pan back and forth between different things that are happening as Jesus is on trial. In verses 13 and 14, we're told that the soldiers bind Jesus and they take him to Annas. And then we see Peter's first denial in verses 15 to 18. And then Jesus' trial before Annas in, in verses 19 to 24. And then John goes back to Peter. We see his second and third denial in verses 25 to 27. And then Jesus' trial before Pilate in verses 28 to 40. There's a lot going on in this passage. And yet the main point, what I hope you see in this text, the, the, the main point that I hope you leave here with this morning is this. We trust in a faithful Savior who never fails even when we do. We trust in a faithful Savior who never fails, even when we do. The Jews fail to see their Messiah, and so they deny him, and they desire to put him to death. Pilate, the Roman governor, fails to execute justice and denies the truth. And Peter, a disciple of Jesus denies being his disciple, but Jesus remains steadfast. He is faithful, and he doesn't deny anything, and he willingly offers up himself in place of his people. We trust in a faithful Savior who never fails, even when we do. All right, so let's look in verse 13. John tells us that Jesus was taken to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. And then John notes in verse 14, it was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. So, so John, the writer of this gospel, is anticipating what is going to take place. Obviously, Caiaphas had some wicked plans to get rid of Jesus, but he was really just playing into God's plan of substitution, where Jesus, the God-man, would die in place of his people. But as you've probably noticed, Caiaphas doesn't really play a big part in John's account. Instead, John highlights Annas, the father-in-law of Caiaphas. Annas was the high priest from AD 6 to AD 15 until the Romans took over. But now his son-in-law Caiaphas was the high priest. But you'll notice in verse 19, Annas is referred to as the high priest. And that's similar to how we would address someone who is an ex-president. Even though they're no longer in the office, we would still call them Mr. President. So if we were to meet, let's say, George Bush, the proper way to address him would be to call him President Bush, even though they are no longer holding the office. And so Jesus has led to Annas, who was a former high priest, who still has that title, high priest. And then John pans over to Peter. Starting in verse 15, we see Peter's first denial. Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did 
another disciple. All throughout this gospel, John has no problem naming people. Right? He even tells us the name of the high priest's servant, Malchus, who Peter cut off his ear. And yet here he says, Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. And so a lot of commentators suggest that, you know, it, through, all throughout John's gospel, he never mentions his own name. And so uh, most commentators think that this other disciple is John. And if it is John, then we know how he got all these details about being known to the high priest. Look back at the text, verse 15. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. And so John gets Peter into the courtyard. And then we have this interaction between Peter and this servant girl. And she asked Peter in verse 17, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He says, I am not. What happened? Peter was the one in the upper room who said, Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. He was the one in the garden who whips out a sword to try to kill Malchus. And yet now a simple question from this servant girl trips him up and he denies Jesus. And from her question, it seems that she even knows that John is a disciple of Jesus. She says, you're not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And her question isn't threatening to Peter in any way. And yet Peter answers her with a direct lie. I am not. Peter's pride and self-confidence definitely got the best of him. Just hours before this, Peter would have told us that this lie, this denial of Jesus would have been impossible. But once he said it, we see that it was hard to correct and easy to repeat. Richard Phillips says this, this shows us why it's important for Christians to be upfront about our faith instead of giving some initial impression first that will be difficult to change later. Peter's instinct to protect himself had overridden his commitment to Jesus and the truth. Peter failed. He denied being a disciple of Jesus. And look at verse 18. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. After Peter denies Jesus, what does he do? He goes and stands with the servants and the officers. He goes and stands with the enemies of Jesus. And maybe John is subtly pointing back to Psalm 1, which says, the blessed man doesn't stand in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And yet we see this is exactly what Peter is doing. 
He denies being associated with Jesus, and then he tries to blend in with the crowd. And all of us are tempted to do the same thing, to pretend to not know Christ when we are out in the world. Maybe even for this upcoming Thanksgiving holiday, when you're with friends and family, for the sake of self-preservation, you're planning on just blending in. Do you realize that this is, in a sense, denying Jesus? This might be your only moment to share Christ with some. And so instead of planning ways to evade the topic, why don't you pray? Pray for the opportunity to present itself so that you could share Christ in a way in which people are receptive. Pray for God to open up that heart of that family member of yours or that friend. But not only at family gatherings, are you like Peter at your job or at your school or with your neighbors? Peter was not as prepared as he thought he was. He relied too much on himself and he didn't keep watch and pray like Jesus told him to. And so think about how you might prepare yourself for publicly identifying with Christ. Our culture used to think that being a Christian and going to church and reading our Bibles was a good thing. But that's not the case anymore. And so are you ready to identify yourself with Jesus in such a way that you won't be at peace with those who reject him? in a way in which you won't be able to warm yourself by their fire? Are you prepared to take up your cross and follow Jesus? We see Peter's first denial, and now we see Jesus's trial before Annas. Look at verse 19. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. All right, so Annas asks Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And really what's happening here is Annas is trying to figure out whether or not Jesus has some organized army waiting for his command and what instructions he has given them. This is what the Jews were expecting, a, a political conquering Messiah and Jesus has not denied that he is the Messiah. And so Annas is trying to gather as much information as he can. And look how Jesus responds in verse 20. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Jesus makes clear that there's been no secret instructions. There is no army. There are no battle plans. What he has taught was declared publicly. He has proclaimed the truth and the world knew exactly what he taught. And then Jesus says in verse 21, why do you ask me? Ask those who heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. 
says to Annas, why are you asking me? Talk to the people that heard my teachings. Go verify what I have said. Jesus is telling Annas to go get witnesses. And by telling him to do this, he's calling Annas out and teaching him how to actually run a trial. Jesus has been arrested. And so the correct legal way to have a trial would be to have witnesses come and tell their story. And yet Annas isn't concerned about this. He wants to do this quickly. And so Jesus calls him out, which gets a reaction. Verse 22, when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Struck Jesus with his hand. To us, that is shocking. Right? Because we know that Jesus is good. We, we know that Jesus is innocent. We know that Jesus is God. And yet, from this officer's point of view, Jesus has insulted his high priest. That's why he hit Jesus. But do you see the irony here? This officer is saying that Jesus has insulted the high priest. But the one that this officer has hit is Jesus, the true high priest. It is Jesus who has been insulted, and Jesus doesn't let this go. John wants us to see Jesus as the one who is still in control. Look at what he says in verse 23. Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Jesus is in total control. Jesus says, what, I have done nothing wrong. I should not have been hit. And in his attempt in getting incriminating evidence on Jesus, Annas has failed. The officer has hit Jesus. Jesus rebukes this officer. And so Annas sees that he's getting nowhere. And so in verse 24, John writes, Annas then set him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. And as Jesus is sent to Caiaphas, John pans us back over to Peter, who is standing and warming himself by the charcoal fire. And the same question that was asked to him by the servant girl in verse 17 is now asked to him again. Look at verse 25. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. That's Peter's second denial. And now reality is staring Peter in the face. Look at verse 26. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? So we have a relative of Malchus, and he recognizes Peter and says, I was there. I saw what you did. Aren't you the guy? And for the third time, Peter denies it. Verse 27, Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. That rooster that Jesus had spoken of in John chapter 13, verse 38, crows just like Jesus said it would. 
Peter failed. Three times he had the opportunity to bear witness to Christ. And three times he fails. And we tend to look at Peter and think, wow, what a mess. What a mess. And yet, our prayer lives are a mess. Our Bible reading is sporadic. And even despite those things, we still think, well, I definitely wouldn't lie to a servant girl if she asked me if I were a disciple of Jesus. Well, think about this. How many people at the office know that you are a Christian? Have you been testifying about Jesus to your friends at school? Are you known as a Christian? Or are you just known for the activities that you participate in? Do you talk to your neighbors about Jesus? Or do you just use vague spiritual language if the topic is brought up? We are a lot more like Peter than we like to admit. Peter denies Jesus for the third time. The rooster crows, and then John pans away from Peter, and we're now at the governor's headquarters. Verse 28 says, Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. John shares nothing about what happens at Caiaphas' house, but all the other gospels do, so you can look there. But now Jesus will have his trial before Pilate. And we are told that it was early morning from the upper room to the garden to Annas to Caiaphas and now Pilate. It is early on Good Friday morning. Jesus has been up all night with no sleep. And John writes, they themselves, talking about the Jews, did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. Do you see the irony here? They are about to bring out the fulfillment of the Passover through the death of Jesus. Jesus is the Passover lamb of God. And these Jews refused to enter the headquarters because it would make them unclean. Entering the house of a Gentile would make them unclean. They want to be pure for Passover. And yet they have missed the whole point. They are worried about ritual impurity while conspiring to commit murder. Their own hearts were more defiled than Pilate's headquarters. And the point of the Passover was to remind them of what God had done in the past, but also to point them to Jesus, who was the fulfillment, who would bring about the salvation of his people, and yet they miss it. They're focused on being outwardly clean and yet so inwardly defiled. And yet Pilate accommodates for their concern uh, of cleanliness. He comes out to them and he asks them in verse 29, what accusation do you bring against this man? 
and they don't even answer the question. They just look at verse 30. They say, if this man were not doing evil, we would have not delivered him over to you. And then Pilate responds by saying, well, take him yourself and judge him by your own law. If you're not going to tell me the charges, then you take him and, and deal with it yourselves. And their response reveals their hearts. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. And then John says in verse 32, this was, to fulfill, this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus had mentioned back in chapter 12 that he was going to be lifted up and this was going to be fulfilled by being crucified on a Roman cross. So then Pilate goes and questions Jesus, verse 33, so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Now, since Pilate brings up this title, king of the Jews, it seems like he's asking Jesus, are you a revolutionary? Are we going to have a problem here? Do I need to be concerned about you? And look at what Jesus does in verse 36. He answers the question in such a way that he alleviates Pilate's concerns about him coming to overthrow the government, but he also doesn't deny his identity as the king of the Jews. Verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. I have not come to gather armies and overtake the government. But Pilate notices what Jesus has, has done here. And so he notices that Jesus has not denied his identity as king. And so he asks in verse 37, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. What Jesus is doing here, he's saying, I know what you're concerned about, but that's not what I'm talking about. He says, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus is claiming to be more than just a king. He is claiming to know truth. He says, I have come to bear witness to the truth. My kingdom advances through the truth. Jesus is the truth. And he says that everybody who is going to align with the truth is going to align with me. And Pilate responds in verse 38, what is truth? Pilate has no time to deal with this. And so he responds to dismissively with Jesus and says, what is truth? But that statement, that question, it sounds familiar to us, doesn't it? People today no longer ask, is it true? What do we ask? What do they ask? Is it true for me? 
Truth has become relative and personal. People are encouraged to speak their truth, not speak the truth. And so when we bear witness to Christ in the world, we are met with the response, well, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. And friends, I know that that can be discouraging. So what do we do? What do we say? Well, it's helpful to remember that Jesus is truth. He is the truth. His words are true. And so we should speak the word of God. His words are true. This is the truth. Jesus says here that everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate can't hear it. Annas and Caiaphas cannot hear it. But it's good to remind ourselves that it's not our job to prove the truth. But it is our job to proclaim the truth. Everyone who is of the truth will listen to the voice of Jesus as we proclaim the gospel. So don't be discouraged by how our culture responds to the truth. Preach the word. Tell people about Jesus. And he will draw people to himself. Pilate says, what is truth? Verse 38, after he has said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. We have our verdict. And Pilate says, not guilty. This should have been over. And yet, Pilate is a corrupt, weak man and tries to get himself out of this bind. And so he comes up with this plan that he thinks will, will allow for Jesus' release and for the Jews to be satisfied. So he says in verse 39, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? He reminds these men of the fact that there was this tradition that they would release one prisoner at Passover. And yet his plan backfires. They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. And then John says, now Barabbas was a robber. There's a, there's a footnote here in my Bible next to that word robber that says, or an insurrectionist. Do you know what an insurrectionist is? A revolutionary. Why in the world would the Jews want someone like Barabbas released back into society? Barabbas was really what they were claiming Jesus to be. And yet here we have this great picture, this great illustration of the doctrine of substitution. Barabbas, the real criminal, is freed. And Jesus, the innocent one, is sentenced to death. We all 
are by nature like Barabbas. We are sinners who deserve the wrath of God. And yet Jesus stands in our place and is punished for our sins. Next week, we'll see Jesus being delivered over to be crucified. But now, how do we respond to all of this? What do we take away from such a large section of Scripture? Well, John wants us to see Jesus. In our passage, Jesus is the priest, our faithful high priest who offers himself as the Passover lamb. He is the king whose kingdom is not of this world. And he is the prophet who is born and comes to this world to bear witness to the truth. When those who wanted to be clean for Passover were defiling themselves with murder in their hearts, when the Roman government, known for its seeking of justice and truth, disregards both those things, Jesus remained calm and composed and in control, and he completed the work that his father gave him to do. And when his boldest disciple denied him, Jesus stood fast. Peter cowers in the face of a servant girl. He denies Jesus to the people who are warming their hands by the fire. And yet Jesus stares boldly in the face of the high priest and the rulers of Jerusalem and denies nothing. Jesus is the true witness. If we are going to be faithful in our witness, we need to look to him. And yet we know this is not the end of the story for Peter. At the end of this gospel, Jesus appears to his disciples after his resurrection, and he makes them breakfast on the beach. And I'm not sure if you noticed it, but in verse 18, John gives us this detail that after Peter denies Jesus to the servant girl, he goes and warms himself by a charcoal fire. The word for charcoal fire in the Greek is only mentioned twice in the Gospel of John. In verse 18, and then in John chapter 21, verse 9, where Jesus has a charcoal fire waiting for his disciples. Peter denies Jesus by a charcoal fire. And when Jesus restores Peter, he does it by a charcoal fire. Peter is restored at the end of this gospel. And then in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches the, the church's first sermon at Pentecost. And then in Acts chapter 3, Peter heals the crippled beggar in the name of Jesus. And then in Acts chapter 4, the man who could not confess to the servant girl that he belonged to Jesus declares before the Sanhedrin, which included Annas and Caiaphas, Peter says this, 
Let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter went on to proclaim Jesus. And in the end, he did lay down his life for Jesus. But all of this could not happen without Jesus. Without his trials, without his sufferings, Without the death of Christ, there could be no forgiveness and no new life for Peter or for us. At the beginning of this sermon, I mentioned that some churches use the symbol of the rooster on their buildings, but there is another symbol that is placed on top of churches, which we're more often likely to see, and that is a cross. We have a savior who died for those who failed him. There is grace because of the cross. All of us, like Peter, have gone astray. Even this week, in our thoughts, in our tempers, in our despair, in our unbelief, in our prayerlessness, we all have gone astray. We have denied and rejected him. But remember the words of Isaiah. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Though we have denied him many times, there is forgiveness in Jesus. Jesus will never fail us or let us down. In our denials, in our rejection, in our witness to him, we look to Jesus who died in the place of those who failed him. We trust in a faithful Savior, who never fails, even when we do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we confess this morning that we are more like Peter than we would like to admit. We praise you that your grace is powerful enough to forgive the sin of even denying you. We have denied you before men and women, and we pray that you would forgive us. Have mercy on us. Help us to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Make us those who don't buckle in the moment of trial. We pray, Lord, for the conversations that we will have with family and friends this week that you would give us opportunities to testify 
about Jesus. We thank you for the grace and love you have shown us in him. We pray in his name. Amen.